if you have your Bible this morning, aren't you glad that the Lord loves us? Amen. John chapter number one, thank you all for that song. A beautiful song, beautiful presentation. And uh, always, always enjoy seeing people do what they can for the Lord. And uh, some of y'all are going to learn to do something one day. Uh, y'all don't give up, all right? And so y'all right there with me. And so uh, we appreciate everything that's done. I thought about Melody and I were talking yesterday uh, about church and about the Lord. And uh, I, just, I just feel like God's been really good to us uh, as individuals. I feel like God's been really good to us as a church. Uh, I feel like God's just really blessed our church in the last year, year and a half or so. And I'm thankful for all of the blessings that God has poured down on our family, on our church, and just in general. And I'm sure that you would agree with me that God's been really good to you as well. And that God has just always taken care of you, that God has always provided for you. Uh, But here's what I want to preach to you this morning, uh, on this thought anyways. And that is that while God has done a lot of good things, and God has done a lot of great things... Uh, that I believe God's still a God of greater things as well. Uh, And that while God is constantly pouring out His blessings, and while God has constantly been good to us in uh, in so many ways, that there are still greater things that God can still do uh, and wants to do. And in the book of John, in chapter 1, in verse number 47, is where we'll pick up in a minute. This chapter, it tells of the, the time the disciples were first introduced to Jesus. And John the Baptist introduced Uh, John and Andrew to Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. And John and Andrew began to follow Jesus and then Andrew went and told Peter and uh, Peter came back and saw the Lord and then later they went into the city and uh, Jesus saw Philip. And Jesus said to Philip, Come and follow me. And so Philip begins to follow Jesus. And then Jesus goes back and he finds Nathanael. And he tells Nathaniel, he said, listen, we found the Messiah. We, we found the Messiah and you need to come and you need to see Him and you need to come and see who He is. And Nathaniel had his doubts and he had his reservations and, and he wasn't sure about all of this. But we pick up in verse number 47 when Nathaniel begins to come to Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and he saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. And Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou that thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. You see, when Nathanael started walking toward Jesus, Jesus said, Behold, an Israelite, he said, In whom is no guile? And he knew everything there was to know about Nathaniel. And Nathaniel was confused because like you and me, Nathaniel thought, I don't know this man, and so how does he know me? I don't know anything about him. How does he know anything about me in this moment? And Jesus said, Look, Nathaniel, he said, Before Philip ever came to you, I saw you under the fig tree. I like the word that the Lord used there when He said before. He said, before you ever even heard about me, I knew everything there was about you. Before you ever thought about coming to me, I knew all there was to know about you. And can I just say this morning that while we have plans to do this and that and all of this, 
that the Lord is always before. And He knows everything that there is to know about you and I. And before I ever got saved, know this, that Jesus knew me. He knew who I was. And He knew where I was. And He knew everything that was going on in my life. And before you ever got saved, He knew all there was to know about you. And He said, Nathaniel, look before before Philip ever came to you, I already knew you. And I saw you under that fig tree. I saw you sitting there. And Nathaniel was just blown away by this. And Nathaniel said, what do, you, what do you mean you saw me? It just amazed him that the Lord saw him even when he wasn't there. And I could just imagine Jesus saying, you believe me because I said I saw you? You're impressed by that. And Nathaniel said, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, you're impressed because I saw you under the fig tree. And I just try to sense the way that, that Jesus was talking to him. And I like what Jesus said in verse number 50. Thou shalt see greater things than these. You're impressed by this. You're amazed that I saw you under the fig tree. Jesus said, just hold on. Because you're about to see even greater things than this right here. And can I say this morning, I'm glad that we serve a God of greater things. I'm glad that the God we serve is not limited to or defined by the circumstances that we are in, but He is a God of greater things. He is not a God of lesser. He is not a God that can only do small things, but He is a God of greater things. I like the way that the Apostle John said it. He said, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Wouldn't you agree that the devil is working overtime to try to destroy what we have today? And the devil is doing all that he can to take what God is doing and try to destroy it. But I would say this morning that the devil can play his greatest card that he has and still the Lord could do greater things than that. Because He is a God of greater things. And He'll always be a God of greater things. There is nothing that can limit Him in any way. He's still on the throne today. He's still in control today. And I believe that He still wants to do greater things in our life today as well. He still wants to take what we have and do something even greater with it. And I believe that the Lord would take this message and he would take Nathaniel and he would take these other disciples and he would immediately begin to show them the greater things. He wasn't just going to wait until a time way off in the future, but the Lord was about to show them the greater things. In John chapter number 2, we read this in verse number 1. In the third day, there was a marriage in the Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and His disciples to this marriage. I think about what was going on. This was the hometown of Nathaniel. Go read John 21, verse number 2. It was like Nathaniel was amazed by Jesus seeing him under the fig tree. And Jesus said, listen, I'm about to show you greater things, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you greater things in your own hometown. I'm going to show you all of this right there where you're from and right there where you grew up at. And can I say that everything that we have read in John chapter 1 and John chapter 2 was by the divine appointments of God. And He had a reason and He had a plan for it. And know this, that there is never anything that happens in your life that God is not using in some way for His honor and for His glory. And He brought them together to this point because He was about to show them greater things. This wedding, we'll read about it in a moment, this wedding was going on. 
in Cana of Galilee. If you, if you think weddings today drag on forever, you should have gone to a wedding back in that day. They lasted quite some time. It, it wasn't a, a 2 o'clock and over at 3 o'clock. They lasted for some time and people would come in and they would have a celebration and boy, they would get together and it was a feast. And, and what they had to drink was the, the wine of that day. Well, when they got there, there was no... that When Jesus got there, there was no wine. They had run out of wine. And you know the story that Jesus would turn the water into wine. And I'm not going to chase this rabbit, alright? But I feel led to say this just real quickly. If the only time that you have ever referenced this story is to try to justify your consumption of alcohol, then you have totally twisted the meaning of this story and totally looked over the purpose of what God was trying to teach in this and you have destroyed everything that God was doing. I've heard people say before, well, Jesus made wine. If that's what you got out of that message, then you missed it all together. What He was trying to give to them and what He was trying to show to them. But I would encourage you, if you want to chase that rabbit and you want to look at that, that you would consider that topic from the entirety of the Scriptures and not just this one story. And you know what conclusion you'll come to. Wine is a mocker, strong drink and is raging. And whoever is the deceived thereby is not wise. It's, it is a mocker and it, it destroys. Here, take this. Jesus was not teaching a lesson about wine. Jesus was showing His disciples greater things. He was showing them what He was capable of. He was showing them what He was able to do. He was showing His glory and His power and His goodness and His ability to all that would see. And He wanted Nathaniel and those that were there to see that the Lord is a God of greater things. And He can do the miraculous. He can do that which is amazing. It was a process that was created. The Lord here, the One speaking, is the Creator. He's the One that designed those vineyards. That their roots would go down in the ground and they would absorb water. And through process and through time, it would be turned into fruit of the vine. And you know what the Lord did? The Lord said, I'm going to skip all of that and I'm going to do it instantly just like that. I don't need the process. I don't need all of that. He was able to take that which would take time and he skipped it and he did it instantly like that because here's what he was doing. He was showing them that he was able to do greater things. I ask you this morning, do you desire to see God do greater things in your life today? Do you, desire, do you desire to see God do something greater in your life, in your family, in your church than He has ever done before? There's no doubt this morning that God has been good to us. And God's been good to our families. And God's been good to our church. And God's been good to our community. And God's been good to our country. But please, let's not grow content in what God has done. There should be an eager and a desire. There should be something within us that wants to see the greater things of God in our future and not just be content with what we've seen in the past. We should want to see God do all that God can do in our lives. We should not want to waste any of the time that we have or any of the resources, but to see God at work and do the greatest things that He can do in our life. He's able to do that. I'm afraid that many Christians have lost this sense of hope though. Many Christians have lost this sense of hope. They've given up on God and, and many of them 
Many Christians today have allowed Fox News or, or any other news network that you like to listen to, you have allowed that to de define what kind of future you have in front of you. And you have allowed that to, to define what God is capable of doing. But can I say that our future as a Christian is just as bright as the wonderful promises of God. And it is not defined. And it is not dictated. And it is not determined by what they say on TV, but it is right here in the Word of God. And it is a word, it is a message of greater things. And God's people need to come back to the place where we are not allowing every negative thing in this world to determine our future, but to build our lives on the Word of God because He is a God of greater things. He's not a God of lesser things. He's not a God of only small things, but He's a God of great things. You say, well, preacher, the economy may never be great again. And you may look and you say, well, well, my 401k was great, but now it will never be great again. You could say my health was great, but it will never be great again. My career was great, but it will never be great again. But know this, God has always been great. And it doesn't matter what will never be great again. God can still do great things today. He is a God of greater things. And He said, Nathaniel... You're about to see greater things. Hold on. Buckle up. You're about to see greater things than this. I, I don't know what last year held for you. I know for our church it was a good year, but for some of you it was different. Some of you experienced promotions and accomplishments, and some of you had great things that went on in your life while others may have felt lost and some of you had a heartache and some of you had tragedies that took place in your life. But whether good or bad, just remember that we serve a God of greater things. We serve a God that is not limited or defined to the circumstances. I like how Paul described the Lord. He said, Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ever ask or think. He said, Unto Him be glory. Now unto Him that is able. He's not only just able to do things, but He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ever even begin to ask or think. And then what do we do? We take God and we put Him in this little box and we say, maybe God can do something. Maybe God can work in my life. Maybe God can do something in 2023. I would submit to you that He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could even dream of this morning because He's a God of greater things. He's a God that is able. But here's the question again. Do you desire to see God do great things? It's my observation as I've been in different churches, as I've talked to different Christians, and including myself at times, that we have put our walk with Jesus on cruise control. We, we have put our service to the Lord in cruise control and we're just going through the motions of it and, and we don't really have any great expectations of the Lord. For the most part, most people's walk with the Lord is Sunday morning church and that's it. And outside of it, there's nothing else to that. And we show up on this day and we get together and we see the altars aren't full and we see the baptistry hasn't been filled and we see that a lost person sits in our service time and time again and they stay lost and what do we do 
we say, man, that was a good church service because we had 75 people that were there and we base the service on the attendance of people and not on the working and the moving of the Holy Spirit of God. And we've lost our concern and we just think that, man, if we could get more people, that would be great. Can I say that God is a God of greater things and we ought to have some expectations when we gather with God and when we come to this place and we sing and we preach and we do all of that and we see little to no response and it should bother us because we ought to want to see greater things from God. We ought to want to see the work of God moving forward and it ought to bother us every time that we get together and a lost person comes in this place and they leave lost because we expect greater things than that and we're looking for greater things and we're hoping for greater things and the child of God that comes into the presence of the Lord and feels absolutely nothing when they're there. I would say that you would check your heart this morning. I would encourage you to do that because God isn't dead, alright? God's not given up. God hadn't dismissed Himself from the world. He's still the God of the universe. He's still the God on the throne. And He's a God that wants to do greater things for you and I today. He's a God that wants to do great things in this church. I believe with all of my heart that He's a God that wants to do great things in this community, in this country, in your life, and in my life. But the question comes back to this. Do we desire to see God do greater things? I believe that for many people, for many people, including myself at times, I'm not just talking to you, that the greatest thing we've ever seen is a child of God. And the last time we ever saw anything great was when we got saved. You know, we kind of have this mentality sometimes that getting saved is up here and the rest of the Christian walk is just a gradual decline until we die. Can I say that getting saved was right here, but it ought to get better and better and better. And as we walk with the Lord day in and day out and we serve Him more and we, we, we learn about Him more and we know about Him more, then we ought to see greater and greater things of God because we're closer to God. If you started here and now you're way down here, can I say that you did it backwards? That, that wasn't the way. It wasn't supposed to get worse after you got saved. It gets greater after you get saved. Not that you're going to get wealth and health and all of the world's prosperity, but you're going to know the God of the universe better than you knew Him before. And you'll come to know this. He's a God of greater things. He's not a God of lesser. He's not a God of small. He's a God of greater things. And I imagine the Lord saying, listen, you're impressed that I saved you. You're impressed that I know everything there is about you. You're impressed with what I did 2022 or whatever else it is. The Lord's saying, hold on, because you're about to see greater things. You're about to see greater things than what you have said. I'm about to really do a work in your life. And we should say with Paul, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Maybe it was a great year for you. Maybe it was a bad year for you. Maybe it was just another year. None of that means anything to you whatsoever at all this morning. You and I ought to wake up every day putting tomorrow where it belongs and striving for the greater things of God today that He has in store for us. He wants to show us greater things. This morning for just a few minutes. That was my introduction. Each point's about twice that long. Alright, so y'all hold on. This morning I want to answer this question and I'll be brief. When does God do greater things? That's that we want to see it, right? We all say, Amen. Do you desire to see greater things? Yes. 
We want to see greater things than we have ever seen before. But how do we do that? And when does God move? And when does God show us these greater things? There are just a few things I'll share with you and I'll be done. We've picked up Jesus at this wedding. And Him and the disciples have showed up to this marriage. In verse number 3, it says, When they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto them, They have no wine. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were there set six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And He saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth His glory and His disciples believed on Him. This was Jesus showing to them greater things. You say, well, why? Why did He do it? Well, what is it that creates the setting for God to do greater things? Here it is, number one, when we need Him. When we need Him. In verse number three, His mother came to Him and said, they have no wine. You imagine here you are holding this feast and all of these things and you've run out of wine. Listen, you've got a problem if you've got a group of people and there's nothing for them to drink and the feast that you are hosting and the celebration, you've run out of the resources. And Mary came and said, Lord, they have no wine. Not, not they got a little bit. Maybe it will last. He said, they have nothing. That they're empty and they are in need. And can you imagine how bad this would be in that setting? And when we think about that, we, we say, Brother Bobby, I don't, I don't like to have needs. There's nobody here in this building that likes to have needs, do you? Nobody ever likes to have to say, I don't have what I need. Nobody ever likes to say, I am in wanting. Nobody ever likes to say, can you help me because I don't have all that I have. We pride ourselves in the fact that we have everything we need and that if there's anything we do need, we can go get in some way. And we pride ourselves in knowing that. But many times we've robbed ourselves of seeing the greater things of God because we have no need of Him. And we have learned to live this life. How sad it is that as a Christian, I have learned to live this life without the Lord in it. You say, well, you're at church. Well, I need a lot more of that, all right? I need a lot more than that. How sad it is that we have learned to live our life without needing the Lord Jesus Christ in everything that we do. You say, well, preacher, why don't we see greater things in our life? Let me ask you this. How bad do you need Him? How bad do you need the Lord in your life? I think about the church of Laodiceans. He said, thou, thou sayest I am rich and I have need of nothing. And I think that that church would describe a lot of us today as well. We've got it all. We've got everything that there is. And it's not that we set out to get to the place where we don't need Him, but maybe unintentionally we have arrived at this place where we have everything that we've ever wanted at our fingertips and we have failed to see that we need Jesus more than anything else. And we say, why isn't God doing something in my life? It is because we are living like we don't need Him. And if we don't need Him, then you know what the Lord does the Lord just dismisses and says, alright, you do it yourself. You do what you want to do and live that way and do the way that you want to. But you'll find this 
When you need me, life's a lot better. And when you realize you need me, life's a lot better. And life is much greater. But when you get over there and you realize that you think, oh, I've got it all figured out. You have robbed yourself from experiencing all that God can do for you in your life. He shows up and He does greater things when God's people realize that we need Him. When we come to this place, when we come to the end of ourselves, and I realize I have nothing without Jesus Christ. Have you ever considered that every miracle that was ever performed in the Bible came right after a problem came up? Miracles didn't happen because everything was going great. Miracles didn't happen because everything was going perfect and the Lord was like, you know what? Just to add on top of every good thing, I'm going to perform a miracle right here as well. It's not how it worked. It was somebody blind. It was somebody sick. It was somebody dying. It was somebody possessed. It was somebody without food. It was somebody without money. But there was always a problem that preceded the powerful working of God in their life. And we look and we say, I don't want needs. But can I say what we oftentimes need is a need of Him. And to realize that nothing else will satisfy that. And if we truly want to see the greater things of God, then we must come to the end of ourselves. And we must say, Lord, I need You more than everything, anything else in life. We have no wine. We have nothing of ourselves. And we can't do it anymore. Churches have tried to go on and do everything themselves. Preachers, parents, husbands, wives. It doesn't matter. We've tried to do everything ourselves. We've tried to figure it all out. We say, why isn't God doing greater things in my life? Well, we live like we don't need Him. You say, well, I've never said that. Let me ask you this. How many times have you went a whole day without ever praying? How many times have you ever went a whole day without ever even considering what the Word of God says? Just one verse. Meditating upon one. Even if you didn't read it. If you just thought about it. How many times have you gone a whole week without ever praying? Without ever reading your Bible? Without ever even considering God? You say, I don't know why God's not doing greater things in my life. Well, apparently, we don't need Him. Why would He? Why would He do greater things in our life? We've said, God, we don't need You. The reason God did something great in this story is because they said, we have nothing and we need You. And You are the only one that can do this. And so Mary came to Him with a need. And the Lord was able to meet that need until God's people realized that we need Him above everything else and we'll never see the greater things of God. You needed Jesus when you were lost and headed to hell. And you needed Jesus when your life was crumbling. You needed Jesus when you laid by the bedside of your sick loved one. You needed Jesus when you buried your loved one. But I would say today, you need Him today just as bad as you've ever needed Him. And we'll always need Him. There's not a greater need than we have than the Lord Jesus in our life. And if we want to see greater things, then we must realize we need Him. The second thing, He moves and He does greater things when we trust Him. Look at the statement when when Mary came and said, listen, they have no wine. Verse number 4 to us comes across kind of harsh. I feel like if I said this in this exact tone that I want to read it in, my mother would slap me twice. But when you read it in this term and you read back in those days, it's not as rude as what you think it is. He said, woman, that was a term of endearment. That was actually a gentle term that they used to refer to. It's the same thing that he said on the cross when he said, John, behold your mother. Woman, behold thy son. It wasn't a slam. It wasn't him being rude or disrespectful, but it was actually a gentle term of endearment to her. When he said woman, when he said woman, and he said there, he asked the question, what have I to do with thee? What he was saying is that that, all that question did was imply, you don't understand what I'm doing. You don't don't understand. Here's, Here's all Jesus said to her. Jesus said, woman, you don't understand what I'm doing right now. Today, it's not my hour. And the Lord clarified. He said, it wasn't time. It wasn't time for him to reveal his entire identity and who he was in that moment and come out and be the Messiah. He said, my hour has not come. You don't understand right now, but it's okay. But you know what she did? 
Can you imagine if you got ready and you, you came up to Jesus and you said, hey, Lord, they, they don't have any wine. You had full expectation. He's about, to, he's about to do something great right now. And Jesus said, hey, you don't understand. It's not my hour right now. You know what you and I would do? We'd like, all right, we'd sit back, right? I'm not going to question the Lord. And you know what Mary did? Mary didn't even speak back to Jesus. Mary looked over at those servants and said, hey, he's about to say something. And when he says it, Y'all do it, all right? Well, whatever whatever he says, y'all do it. Here's what Mary did. Mary had faith and confidence and she trusted that Jesus was about to speak and that Jesus was about to do something. And she trusted Him in that moment that yes, there's a need, but there's somebody who can meet that need and we ought to trust in Him that He is going to do this. Can you imagine how she felt? She knew her son was something special from the very moment the angel came to her and the angel said listen you're going to conceive of the Holy Ghost and you're going to have give birth to the Savior the Messiah the Son of God can you imagine raising him I mean my parents struggled raising such a good son I can't imagine how Mary had to struggle raising the Son of God all right no knowing that this is Emmanuel he's perfect he's the Savior can you you know what you would want to do you want to show your kids off today and they're sinners all right and I want to show mine off and they're sinners Mary's got Jesus here and he's 30 and he's coming out in his public ministry and as a mother she's probably said this is the time Everybody's about to see who He is and what He can do. And she wants the world to see. And He said, listen, you don't understand right now, okay? It's not my time. And Mary just looks over at those servants and said, listen, He's going to speak. And y'all do whatever He says. She trusted Him in that moment to meet the need. You say, I want to see greater things in my life. Well, you got to get to a place where you're going to trust the Lord. And you got to get to a place where you have full confidence that He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ever ask or think. She expected him to speak. He said, my hour has not come, she said. He's going to speak. And when he speaks, y'all listen to him. Y'all come Sunday after Sunday. I still hadn't figured out why, but y'all come Sunday after Sunday. Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever else you come. And you listen to me preach, and you listen to me get up here and spit and everything else that I may do. I wonder though this. You show up, you kind of have an idea of what to expect. He's going to preach this. He's going to talk too fast. He's going to do all of those things, whatever it may be. But I wonder this, how many times and when was the last time that you showed up and said, I'm fully expecting the God of heaven to speak when I get to that place? You see, we say, well, we got to church and it was just another church service. We went to church and we've never seen greater things. We've never seen the greater things that, that the Lord is talking about. And the reason we've never seen the greater things is because we don't even have the faith to expect the God of heaven to speak and be ready to respond to Him. Mary said, listen, He's going to talk. And when He does, you listen to what He says. That's the kind of faith that we need to have. The Lord's going to speak. And I'm going to respond to it with whatever He says. She trusted Him. And when they were in a place where people needed Him and people trusted Him, and you know what He did? He did greater things. And when you and I get to a place where we realize we need Him and we trust Him, I believe that we'll begin to see greater things. The third thing, here it is, they brought empty vessels to Him. You read the story, He said, listen, there's six water pots over there, big old water pots that hold about 20, 30 gallons of water. They were used for the purifying before they ate and did all of those things. They'd wash their hands, wash their feet, did all of that. They said they're empty vessels. And Jesus said, I want you to go get those empty vessels. And so what does that have to do with anything? I, I bet there's somebody here this morning that can probably relate to the idea of an empty vessel. You say, preacher, I'm empty. I, I have nothing left. My heart has been shattered. My life has been 
broken. My dreams have died. And everything that I have ever aspired to be has fallen apart. I'm empty and there's nothing that I can do. Can I say that the Lord loves to use empty vessels. Over and over and over again in the Scriptures, it is the empty vessels that God used to do the greatest things. It was not the people that had all of the accolades and all of the resumes and all of the credentials. It was the people that were just empty vessels and God did something. You said, Preacher, I have nothing to offer. You said, Preacher, I have absolutely nothing to give to God. I would say, good. You have arrived at where you need to be to finally be used of the Lord. Because before, you had too much of yourself. And you had too much pride. And you had too much selfishness. And you had too much worldliness. And you had too much all of these other things. But now that you are empty, God can finally use you for something. You see, we have this idea that the more I can give to God, the more God can do with me. If I can get all that there is and all of these things and I'll bring myself... And now God can use me to do greater things because I have all of these other things. I would submit to you this morning that if I ever do anything great for God, it will not be because of the degrees I have, the titles I have, the experience that I have, or any secular accomplishment that I might have ever achieved. If I ever do anything great for God, it will be because I laid myself down at His feet as an empty vessel. And He used that vessel. It is not about what you can do for Him. It is about making room in your heart, in your life, as an empty vessel. Saying, Lord, I want to be used for greater things. I I want you to do something in my life. And then the fourth and the last thing, here's what they did. Greater things happen when we obey Him. Mary said, listen, whatever He says, you go and do. He said, I want you to take those six water pots. I want you to go fill them up with water. And so they went and they filled them up and they brought them back. And God blessed that obedience. But I want you to look at a phrase. I believe it's in verse number 7. It says, when they filled it up to the brim. They they didn't just fill it up three quarters of the way. They they didn't just go and say, man, these are heavy. I mean, you're talking 20, 30 gallons and you want me to fill it all the way up? I mean, I think half of it will do, Lord. They filled it to the brim Because that's what Jesus said do. And when they obeyed Him in that way, then He showed them greater things. He did greater things because they did not have half-hearted commitment and obedience, but they had to the brim obedience. They were going to fill it all the way up for the Lord so that He could use it in that way. I'm afraid that most of us as Christians, we're looking to cut every corner that we can cut. We are looking to do the least that we can do. Here's what we want to do. We want to show up. We want to be just close enough to catch a blessing, but not close enough to be too committed. We, we, want, to, we want to do just enough to look the part, but really not enough to where we don't get to do everything else that we want to do. And we want to slide by. We, we just showed up and we just said, Lord, I put about 30% of the water in there and I really feel like you can do something with that. You know, you can do something with that. Not these men. They went and they said, we're going to fill it up. And said, well, did the Lord mean all the way to the brim? He said, fill it up. I'm going to fill it up till it runs out because that's what the Lord said. And that's the kind of obedience that we need today is to the brim. Total surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder this morning, have you responded in obedience to Him? Here's what we do. We talk about it all the time. Look at what Mary said. Mary said, listen, whatever He saith unto you, here's two powerful words. Do it. Do it. Don't go talk about it. Don't go get together and y'all see what pot you need to get. You know, don't, don't go and see, well, is there more pots or different pots? He said, just do whatever He says do. And I'm afraid that many times today we talk about doing, seeing greater things. 
We talk about what we can do for the Lord. We talk about what we should do for the Lord. We pray about it. We think about it. We plan for it. But we never do it. And it sounds good, doesn't it? It, it makes us, we procrastinate everything, don't we? I can't imagine, I mean, how many projects you probably all have at your house. They say, I was going to do that and one day I'm going to do it. We procrastinate with everything. And then we make our procrastination spiritual because here's what we say. We say, God's, God's leading me to do this. But I'm going to pray about it and I'm going to think about it. Can I say that if God is leading you to do something, God has not asked you to pray about it. If God has said, do this, then our response is to do it. Whatever it is, and do it with all of our heart and all of our mind. And, and just do whatever it is that He's led us to do and be obedient to Him in that way. And when we respond with obedience, then God blesses. There are so many people that live their life and they say, you know what, I haven't seen greater things. And, and I'm done. I haven't seen greater things. And I, I don't see all the greater things that everybody else has seen. Can I say this morning, if you've given God half-hearted commitment, then we have no reason to expect the greater things of God. Well, I want to see God work in my life. And I want to see God work in my family. And I want to see God work in my all these other things. But if you want to see God work in those ways, then God deserves the greatest level of obedience that we can give to Him. Yes, He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ever ask or think. He's a God of greater things. But when does He do greater things? When we need Him. When we trust Him. When we bring Him our empty vessels. And when we obey Him with all that we have, it is then that God will do greater things in our life. And until then, we will sit on the outside watching God do greater things in other places and missing out. And I'm sure that one day we will get to heaven and we will look back and we will see all of the greater things that we missed out on being a part of because we weren't ready to obey Him with all of our heart. Why not today? Let today be the day that we forget those things which are behind. And we begin to reach forth to those greater things that God has in store for us. If you, don't, if you haven't done that, if you haven't made that commitment, I would encourage you to do that today. But if you're lost, let me say this. If you're lost and you don't know Jesus Christ, you'll never see a great thing that God can do like we're talking about. You'll miss out. on. You'll go through all of your life and you'll see the great creation of God, but you'll never personally witness all that God can do and all that God is able to do. But if you'd call out to Jesus Christ, He'd save you. He'd give you everlasting life. He'd save you from hell, but He'd give you a life. That He can show you greater things and that He can do great things in your life. But it all starts with your response to Him as He calls you. I want to ask you to stand with me. Let's have a verse of invitation. Lord, we thank You for this day. God, You've been so good. You're so good to us, Lord. Your grace is just overwhelming. It's amazing, Lord, all that You've done in our life. But Father, we come to You this morning. And while we are so thankful for all that You have done, Father, we long to see the greater things that You can do, Lord. We long to see You do greater things in our life and in our church. We don't want to grow complacent, Lord. We don't want to settle. We don't want to, we don't want to give up. Father, we know that You're a God of greater things, Lord. And I pray that with each person that is here today, Father, that You will begin to do greater things in their life so that they can come to know You in a closer way than they do today. Lord, if there's anybody lost, please convict them and draw them. Lord, I pray that they'd be saved today as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen.